Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at you, savings coming at you. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. Today's show will be on making an hospital plan and open adoption. Creating a Family is a weekly radio show podcast. And to make sure that you automatically hear about each episode, subscribe to our show at either iTunes or on the radio page or our website, creatingafamily.org slash radio show. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family. We're the National Adoption and Infertility Education Organization, providing support and unbiased information before, during, and after adoption or fertility treatment to help create strong families. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is proud to say that we are underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Faring has been our underwriter for some time now, and we are truly could not bring you this show without their support. Uh, fighting cancer doesn't have to mean a loss of your fertility. If you or a loved one are facing cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medication through Faring's Heartbeat Program. To learn more, you can go to their website, heartbeatprogram.com, or, of course, you can talk to your doctor to get more information. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support from our gold sponsors who believe in our mission of providing support and unbiased information uh, to pre- and post-adoptive families as well as those who are struggling with infertility. Some of our sponsors are, gold sponsors are, independent adoption centers whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in all 50 states and are fully licensed in California, New York, Florida, Texas, and more. We also have Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a national adoption agency with offices in North Carolina and New York, placing children from Bulgaria, Georgia, Ghana, Armenia, Morocco, and Serbia. Children's Connection, Inc. is an adoption agency with offices offices throughout Texas, providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. And we have a new sponsor, the Law Offices of James Fletcher Thompson, specializing in adoption and assisted reproductive technology law in South Carolina. In addition to our gold sponsors, we also have a lot of other sponsors that allow, and it's through their generosity that allows us to bring you this show. So that we ask that when you're choosing an adoption agency or an infertility service provider, please consider using one of the, or please consider using one from the Creating a Family directories on the service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, years in operation, just a whole host of criteria that we think are important when choosing. And by using these databases and directories, you support those who support us, and we thank you. Today's show will be on creating an adoption plan and open adoption. Adoptive parents are often asked to be present at the hospital in open adoptions. This emotional time is complex for both, quite frankly, adoptive parents and birth parents to navigate, and sadly, hospital staff often do not help. Our guests to talk about making a hospital plan are Dr. Jennifer Bliss, the National Associate, Associate Counseling Director at Independent Adoption Center, a nonprofit domestic infant placing infant, infant adoption placing agency. Sorry about that, Jennifer. I screwed up on that one. And Rebecca Valle, she is the Adoption Program Coordinator and founder of the Family to Family Adoption Support Program at Parker Adventist Hospital in Parker, Colorado, which is just southeast of Denver. She is also an adoptive mom of three via domestic open adoption. Welcome both Jennifer and Rebecca to Creating a Family. Hi. Thanks, so Don. Good. I, you know, Rebecca, you started the adoption support program um, at the hospital where you work uh, because you had two very different experience, hospital experiences in your adoptions. I, uh, I think it would be helpful if you could describe the experiences you had and, and how they differed, just briefly, so our audience gets a feel for why making a hospital plan is something that we need to talk about in open adoption. 
Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, they were very different. Our daughter, who's now 15, um, we learned that she was going to be coming home with us uh, just gosh, 24 hours before we met her birth parents. Um, so it was, a, it was a quick placement. We didn't get a chance to meet them before they were heading to the hospital. And when we came into the hospital, they were very supportive of us. The nurses were very kind. Um, the family was very supportive. Um, the woman considering adoption was just so gracious as far as letting us give care to the baby in the hospital. And I walked away from that exper experience feeling very empowered. As a new mom, we'd gone through infertility, and you, you really have a doubt in your mind that you're not sure if you're really going to be able to do this and do it well. And we left that experience feeling just great. And we adopted our second child when he was three and a half months old, so we didn't have a hospital experience with him. But our youngest, we met his birth mom when she was just seven weeks pregnant, and we did the whole pregnancy together. It was just a really amazing um, situation. But then we got to the hospital, and it was extremely awkward. Um, the nurses weren't quite sure what to do. They, How many times people ask now, who are you? And I'm like, well, I'm the baby's mom. She's asked me to be the parent, you know, trying to retell our story over and over. And it was just really difficult. And that was really the first time I wasn't in healthcare. I'm an elementary school teacher when I just saw there wasn't a standard of care for these complex situations. So um, that's really what sparked my uh, desire to change things. Then when my daughter was 10, after I'd been bragging about our hospital experience with her, her birth father actually told me that they had a very difficult time when my daughter was born and that every time they were by themselves, the nurses kept coming in and trying to get her to quote unquote keep her. And I was beside myself. I had no idea any of that had gone on. And he said, oh, absolutely. And we just finally said, we have to get out of here. And so they actually cut their hospital time short with their daughter because of the way they were being treated by just people not supporting their decision. And so that was really difficult to hear as the mom of this 10-year-old that all this time I had no idea that's what they had faced on their side of the hospital time. Yeah, I think it's... I think that I and I've, we've heard from both um, uh, first families as well as adoptive families that the mm -hmm. the awkwardness, which is a great way to say it, and 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 the general stress uh, of the situation wears on both sides. Jennifer, you've worked with families literally throughout the United States. What do you see as far as it, uh, Rebecca talks about? There's no standardization. I think that's accurate. But what do you see in your practice as far as uh, can you even make an estimate of how many hospitals are supportive, how many hospitals have programs? How is this handled in, in, throughout the U.S.? Well, I think what you just heard is a really good example, unfortunately, of what happens is that there is no across-the-board standard or educational system for the infrastructure of the hospital, hospital to be prepared for situations like this. Um, Adoption agencies and other outreach programs such as ours will go out and educate social workers and nurses, but unfortunately it has a lot to do with who's on staff at the time. The birth parents are admitted, uh, the nurse assigned during you know, her stay. Um, we do our best to educate social workers and nurses even prior to individual cases being brought to the hospital, especially when we know ahead of time which hospital the birth mother will deliver at. And the support we can provide from behind the scenes also helps. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of situations out there where uh, professionals are not educated in what would be the most helpful for birth parents, and we get situations such as the one you just heard. Is there any form of education that takes place in uh, when somebody is specializing in, when a, a nurse is specializing in um, uh, obstetrics? Uh, Rebecca, do you know if there's any, do they get any education at all in their <laughs> classwork uh, about uh, adoption? If they do, it's very minimal. It, the response we've had from even even those that have gone through a master's in social work, we had an intern here at the hospital that came to our two-day seminar, and at the end she said, I'm done with my coursework for my master's, and this is the only adoption education that I've received. And so that's very difficult because when you talk to hospitals, they say, well, we don't need our nurses trained because we have our social workers that, that run, the, run the show. But the hard thing is those social workers, one, aren't at the bedside at 2 a.m. when that woman needs support and a listening ear to understand what she's going through, but also they may not understand the dynamics of open adoption. And mm -hmm. so we're, we're kind of pointing at each person saying, well, she's got it, no, she's got it, no, she's got it, when really we're finding 
nobody has it, and sadly, these nurses aren't getting trained, and then they're being um, criticized for the way they're handling it, but no one's telling them how to handle it. And let's be honest, it is a it's a it's a fraught time. It's an emotionally fraught time for all involved. It's so it's not an easy. I mean, it's not like it's not like that that they should intuitively know uh, how to handle it. Uh, nor should they intuitively know about open adoption and what that means. Um, we find that even people coming to adoption are often quite ignorant. Um, both on both sides, uh, both expectant mothers as well as adoptive mothers are fairly ignorant. So I guess why should we expect somebody who has no connection to the adoption world uh, to, to understand that? Let's talk about some of the issues that that people have reported to you that they would face. Uh, Rebecca, you mentioned one, which is uh, talking the um, um, expectant woman or the new mom um, out of it, trying to talk somebody out of it. Uh, so that's one. Um, Jennifer, can you just kind of rattle off some of the issues that people may face in a hospital, uh, uh, both either the expectant family or the adoptive family? Sure. Well, the adoptive parents can get treated either way. Uh, they have experienced or I've heard situations where the hospital staff defers to them as the parents of this newborn baby, which can be very uncomfortable for them because they're so honoring where the birth parents are at, which is this decision isn't final yet, papers haven't been signed, and they don't want, feel the, they don't want the birth parents to feel undermined or disrespected. At the same time, adoptive parents have experienced the polar opposite, which is they're not acknowledged or they're quote seen as the bad guys uh, from the hospital staff. And, uh, you know, a lot of it's lack of education, um, Open adoption is still new enough that hospital staff can be very confused as to why the baby and the expectant family and the adoptive family are all spending time together in the same room most of the time, or the relationship between the adoptive parents and the birth parents is um, very unusual and uncomfortable for hospital staff sometimes if they're not sure what's happening and why everybody is connected and talking about future visits. So... Those are some of the main ones I hear back. Um, I think that it's really a important situation for adoptive parents to be able to advocate for birth parents and maybe what when they're not feeling heard by the hospital staff or anything like that. And at the same time, remember towards birth parents that you guys are all on the same team. And it's important to ask them where they're at and how they're feeling and are they getting enough time with the baby. And the situation is very stressful for everybody, but I think communication is key so the right messages are communicated to the hospital staff. I have heard uh, not all that long ago of a situation where hospital staff were trying to talk uh, the new mom out of holding the baby, interacting with the baby. Their, uh, the, the nurse's thoughts were that it would simply make it harder for her, again, not understanding that, in fact, this woman uh, is going to always be the child's mother and would continue to play a role through open adoption. Uh, in the child's life, um, uh, and it was very confusing and very hurtful uh, to the person who was telling me this was the adoptive mother, and so it was very confusing and hurtful to her, and I could only guess that it would have been the same. Um, Rebecca, can you think of any other issues? We've talked about uh, trying to talk somebody out of the expectant, or at this point, the, the new mom, out of placing a child, uh, either treating the adoptive parents as the bad guys or treating them automatically as the parent, even though the uh, no papers have been signed and the uh, first family is still making decisions, um, trying to keep the families apart, not understanding openness. Anyway, so anything else that you've seen as issues that can come up, not necessarily in your hospital since you have a program, but uh, in other hospitals? Yeah. Well, I think we even see it in our in our program because um, what you said is so relevant that we have this idea that she shouldn't get too, quote, unquote, attached. And I hear that a lot from nurses that when, when we see this woman just loving on this baby and it, it makes them uncomfortable. They're like, this is going to be harder for her. I don't want her to get too attached. And we've even done trainings where nurses have said, gosh, I feel terrible. I've even taken the baby out and pretended to do a lab draw because I thought she was getting too attached. 
And Mm -hmm. then in training, they realize how heartbreaking they took some time from that patient, that mother and that baby, because they weren't comfortable. So she's attached. Like we, that's not going to be something that we can um, sidestep or try to protect her from. And so we really encourage our patients and these moms to just love on these babies, to talk with them and explain what's going on to them. And that can get uncomfortable because it's very emotional. One of the things that has really helped is drawing a correlation between the training they have in bereavement and what, how we have changed bereavement care for our patients. And if we can look at adoption and in the, the intense loss that's being felt and use that same filter, our nurses go, oh, we have changed how we handle bereavement. We did used to whisk the baby away. Well, now we really give them time to say their goodbyes and take pictures and all those things. They can overlap that into adoption care. And so they can acknowledge the loss this woman's going through and really encourage her to lean into that. And that, we found, has helped them to feel true peace on the other side of their decision because they have done everything they needed to do during the hospital time to for whatever, for however it looks for them, to feel at peace on the other side of their decision. So I think letting them craft that goodbye is really pivotal when they're here in the hospital and not to be afraid of what that might look like. What a wonderful, I love that, let them craft their goodbye. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and your analogy to bereavement is, is helpful, uh, or it would be for me. Um, Jennifer, what are the options that are available for both adoptive families and birth families as far as a hospital plan goes. What do we mean when we say, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, what do we mean when we say make a hospital plan? What What is a hospital plan in open adoption? Well, it's really important to sit down with your adoption professional, um, the birth family, the adoptive family, all together, and talk about what that's going to look like. There's so many decisions that need to be made constantly throughout those few days that it could be very stressful to make them on the spot while the adoptive parents are making sure that they take care of the birth parents' need and birth parents are wondering what the adoptive parents would want versus what she was feeling. And sussing that out beforehand takes away a lot of the potential misunderstandings um, and anxiety that would happen during those couple days if all the decisions were made then. So, for example... Where will the adoptive parents be when the birth mom is in labor? Are they going to be in the room helping with helping and supporting her? Uh, and then how about in delivery? That could be very look very different as far as who she wants in the room during the actual delivery than when she's in labor. And does she want the baby by default to be in a bassinet in her room or not? Um, how about caring for the baby? Is she going to initiate the caretaking and then when she's ready pass on those responsibilities to the adoptive parents? Or is everybody going to be helping from the beginning? And all these decisions can be made in a meeting before the birth mother ever goes to the hospital. And um, and I think it's important, as this might be obvious, to get the adoption professionals help and guidance on this because uh, it's, important, it's important for everybody to be heard, even though some of the questions can feel uncomfortable in the moment. Okay, so some of the issues to address beforehand uh, with your social worker, and and we have to sincerely hope that most uh, adoption agencies will have social workers who are comfortable and competent in leading these these conversations. I will say that I'm not sure that's 100% the case, but but that's the goal. <laughs> so right, right. Uh, where will so where will the adoptive parents be during the labor? Where will they be in delivery? And I'm thankful that you broke that up because I think that there are those are two different periods of time, obviously, duh. Mm-hmm. But um I, I, I meant that more in the uh philosophical sense that uh that I think you could uh want one during labor and want something different in delivery. Um mm-hmm where the baby is going to be kept afterwards, uh, uh, who is going to take care of the baby. Rebecca, what are some other issues that would be helpful uh, for um, both families to think through before birth? Well, I think it might be helpful to acknowledge one of the ways an adoptive dad explained it to me is the hospital room felt like a wedding and a funeral in the same room. And so we had sadness on one side and joy on the other. And often we, we, we get kind of wrapped up like the adoptive family. They don't want to be too excited because they feel bad that she's upset or she's sad as she should be. And then the patient, this mother, saying, well, 
is, aren't they excited? I thought they'd be more excited. So sometimes mm-hmm. just acknowledging that conflict is coming. You know, this is how you might feel, because we see that a lot. I think also the awareness that, you know, open adoption doesn't happen in a bubble. And this woman has had support probably for, for some Uh, like family members or grandparents, and if she's in her late teens or early 20s, maybe this is the first grandbaby. Well, this hospital time is when this quote-unquote adoption plan has all of a sudden a grandbaby. So I think acknowledging the grief that's going to be felt by extended family can be really um, empowering for them to acknowledge that she's not the only one that's losing kind of the dream of what this is going to look like. It also probably it's hitting her parents. And so we do um, give them the ability to talk about that and acknowledge the fact that this is hard. Maybe that baby looks just like their daughter or just like their son. And now they're having to recommit to the adoption just like she is. And that can be really difficult. They can feel very conflicted because, you know, they may be saying this, gosh, this is not what we thought this would be like. This is not what we dreamed for our daughter, for our son. And so we just really lean into those feelings and acknowledge them and validate them. And then the long-term effects of that validation really has been just being, again, more at peace and having a better groundwork for an open adoption down the line when everything's been on the table up front. I think talking about the role of the extended family is important as well. Um, that sometimes I have seen where the it, it, there wasn't a role crafted for that person, and especially in care of the child and the uh, birth grandmother wanted to have some. Uh, mm-hmm. She wanted to be involved in the care, and that wasn't discussed ahead of time. Um, and 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 there was resentment all the way around, and confusion, quite frankly. I mean, some resentment, but also just you know confusion, people not understanding. Um, and I think that's that's just very valid. What about? Uh, and this may not be something that can be talked about ahead of time. Well, it can be talked about. It it may change, but um, giving time alone. Uh, for the uh, birth family to be with the baby. What do you see, Jennifer, as far as what families want, uh, what is helpful for them, and is it possible to discuss it ahead of time, or is it so individual uh, it's hard to predict what you're going to feel in the moment? I think it's really important to discuss ahead of time for both parties, for the birth mother just so she can start thinking about that, Um, And also, in front of the adoptive parents, while we're doing this hospital plan, I think it's one of the important subjects to bring up. Because she might feel, um, I don't want her feeling badly of wanting that time or feeling like the adoptive parents are going to get scared that she's going to change her mind if she wants alone time with the child. And so we talk about ahead of time with everybody there and how it is important to do it, to, to make that plan and to have that alone time. And when I'm discussing with the adoptive parents more privately, I'll remind them that this is a relationship built on trust. And she's placing her child with you on the basis of the strength of that relationship. And and we, as much as I know there's going to be some nerves and anxiety during that hospital time, you don't want to hover over her when she has the baby in her arms or have anxiety if she's holding the baby or spending too much time alone with the baby. So that's going to send a message of just mistrust. And that's going to rock the foundation of the strength of her belief in the relationship that you guys have together. It's very healthy for her to have alone time if that's what she wants. And I often equate it to the idea of having an audience and the emotions she's going to go through and and the peace she's going to need to make as she crafts her goodbye plan, as we heard so eloquently earlier. And not everybody would want an audience for that. And I think (laughs) I light bulb moment with that mentality. Yeah, great. Yeah, I, I for one, don't handle an audience well, and in, in, in many situations, and that would certainly likely be one as well. Jennifer, each state has different laws on when a woman or when a, uh, when parents, I should say, a man and a woman, mother and a father, are able to sign relinquishment papers. Um, how is that handled? In the hospital setting, assuming it's during that time period when she's in the hospital, and and what is considered best practice as far as giving them the required respect and space to make that decision? Well, I think it should be talked about ahead of time as far as her options, whether or not 
she would sign before she gets goodbye at the hospital or a couple days after the hospital. So again, she can start thinking about it. And even though she's thinking about it, it's still just a plan. And it's important to check in with her to see when she's ready. Um, sometimes it is practice to sign at a hospital, and if that's the birth, what the birth mother wants and what she's most comfortable with, then that's the plan. Even if she technically is allowed to sign before she leaves the hospital, she might not be ready to, and that's okay. The last thing we want to do is corner somebody or pressure somebody into signing because in that situation, we're not getting authentically what they're ready for and we risk a reclaim. Or God forbid, if there's no time for her to change her mind, then we've got a really sticky situation. So how it's handled really should be um, based on what the birth mother's comfort zone is. And some birth moms really want to sign because that purgatory time where they can change their mind is actually more difficult for them. And they like the idea of, I've made this decision. I want to not stress out constantly over whether I'm making the right decision and giving myself you know, this very stressful purgatory time. I want to be able to concentrate on the healing part. I want to know this decision is done. And those are birth mothers that do sign at the hospital if they're allowed to. And other birth mothers feel like they want their space to process, to emotionally kind of get settled on more secure ground. And maybe they'll sign a couple days later or a week or two later. So it really depends on the individual circumstance. And I would just hope that the adoption professional honors wherever the birth mother's at and what she's comfortable with. And if part of the information that would need to be shared, what will happen to the baby if she decides not to sign in the hospital? I know that sometimes it is encouraged for the child not to go home with the adoptive parents but to go into a foster home. Other times it is encouraged if that baby go home with the adoptive parents. Is that something also that is discussed uh, prior to, or I should say, prior to the birth, but but when making the hospital plan. And Jennifer, I'll direct that question to you. I'm sorry, to who? Sorry. To you, Jennifer. Yeah, I'll, I'm coming to oh, okay. Rebecca in just a minute. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, that, again, um, really lies on the practice of the adoption professional that everybody's working with. Um, at IAC, the adoptive parents do take the baby home. Um, and depending on what state you're in, it's not uncommon for a couple of days or a week to go by before the birth parent signs, and that's okay. She might even have a visit during that time. So it all depends. There, I know there are professionals that place the baby in, in a foster placement. Um, that's not the way we practice, but I know it's out there. Uh, if the birth mother is expressing any ambivalence about whether or not she wants to do this, and that's the reason why she's not sure if she's ready to sign, I think that's very different than I just want to go home, get a good night's sleep, maybe a home-cooked meal, and let my emotions settle out. That's different than ambivalence. If there's any ambivalence as to whether or not she wants to move forward with this placement, we'd encourage her actually to take the baby home with her and try parenting. And if it comes to the point that she decides and it comes clear to her actually adoption is the right decision, then she can do it with a clear heart, a clear conscience, and knowing that she did everything she needed to do to be secure in her decision. So I guess that might also lend itself to not having a foster placement because we wouldn't have a child go home with adoptive parents if the birth mother is ambivalent. You would want the, the, um, you would want the mom to have the uh, experience of parenting and knowing and making a decision, uh, a well-founded decision uh, and based on exactly. the reality. Okay, gotcha. Uh, Rebecca, in your practice, uh, your uh, your program, I should say, um, how do you handle the, the the situation of signing the papers in the hospital, outside the hospital? But the the main thing is making certain. Uh, how do you handle that that there's not undue pressure uh, upon the first family or upon the family at that point? Yeah. Well, I think I love what I hear Jennifer saying as far as the flexibility. I think it's really clear that this this mom needs to go through this process, whatever that needs to look like for her, 
And I just so appreciate that. I I can always tell there's those times you have those conversations with people that are they'll call and say, Okay, how do I how do I get through the hospital placement and leave with the baby? You know, kind of that goal, just the eye on the prize, you know, and really what we want to do is come alongside this mom and, and help her navigate this decision if this is even what she ultimately wants to decide to do. And I think that's just so key to be so flexible. I see anxiety, it's such an anxious and complex time and emotional time. Time, especially for adoptive parents. I've, I've been in those shoes and I know that is just, you're just holding your breath and yet um, you really have to allow for her process. I mean, it's really about her and what's best for her. And I think that's sometimes really hard, especially coming out of infertility. So I hope people are really hearing that flexibility piece. Um, we are an agency state here in Colorado. So I kind of joke, I'm just the wedding coordinator. Um, I'm just kind of there to help the parties that are involved, but I'm not actually working with signing of papers, et cetera, except to go ahead and discharge baby to most often the adoptive family. And most of the agencies here use cradle care if the adoptive family is dis- or the, the patient has decided to take a breather. Um, but we, we really haven't seen that in our eight years of our program where I've had a baby that has gone into cradle care. Um, and our program wait, offers what is, a little what bit is different. Cra- wait, just oh. a second, Rebecca. What is cradle care? Sure. Um, it would be that there would be um, an agency would have the ability to go ahead and take custody and have that baby go. It's kind of like foster care, but it's not using the system. It's not going into right. the social services yeah. system. So yeah. it's just within that agency they have parents that are willing to do temporary care while that mom is making the decision. Gotcha. Okay, so yeah. without involving that. that other party. Yeah. So I think that flexibility is key, and it's going to look different for every single mom, and I think it's really empowering her with her information and making sure that she's at peace with her decision and doesn't feel cornered. I love what you were saying, Jen, about that. All right. What Something that we don't go into in anticipating, but the reality is sometimes medical decisions have to be made. Sometimes things don't go perfectly at birth, and, and the baby has got some issues. And medical decisions have to be made. Jennifer, just first of all, just from a legal standpoint, you're not a, you're a, 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 psycholo- a psycho- uh, not psychologist, not a, a, a lawyer, but uh, you've had experience with this. When who has the legal right to make decisions prior to the signing of any papers, uh, uh, make medical decisions uh, for the uh, for the newborn? Well, um, there's some that we can plan for, such as circumcision, and some you can't. So things that you can plan for can be talked talked about at the um, birth and hospital plan meeting. Um, And then at that meeting, I think it's important to still talk about the what if. What if something comes up? Legally, the birth parent is the legal mother at that point. No paperwork has been signed. And when it comes down to it, it's her decision. I have heard that some hospitals will let her sign over those decision-making rights to adoptive parents. It's not common, but in my experience, I have heard that that does exist. Um, Regardless, the decisions are made usually collectively, um, and the birth parent does want to enlist the adoptive parent's um, thoughts and opinions because by then, in her heart, she may have already been able to give the baby to, to the adoptive parents and sees them as people that she wants to weigh in on this decision and for everybody to feel comfortable before moving forward. So it's something that can be talked about tangibly ahead of time if we're talking about circumcision or such, or hypothetically, so that everybody's prepared to come together and may have a discussion if something does come up. Okay, so that's and, and the collective nature of the uh, of the discussion is something that I do hear um not infrequently but one of the the downsides is that although the birth family and the adoptive family are talking collectively um I have heard of situations where the hospital is not accepting of that they only want to have the birth parents in the room when they are at this point they're not birth parents they are parents they only mm-hmm. want them in the room when they are giving information. They don't want uh, what they would consider an outsider, uh, the adoptive parents. Uh, Rebecca, have, well, let me actually, I'm going to address this to Jennifer since she's got more national experience. Have you seen that as well where the medical staff is not comfortable with uh, sharing information with both sets of parents? Absolutely. And this 
reflects back to one of the first statements I made, which is sometimes you have hospitals who see the adoptive parents as the other or they, at least the adoptive parents report feeling like the bad guy. And that sounds like this would be one of those situations if a hospital staff did not allow adoptive parents in the room. Um, we haven't had it that drastic where if the birth parent says these are people I want in the room, where the hospital staff would walk out of the room and refuse to give the information. But even just having a little pushback doesn't feel very good. And it doesn't feel great for the birth parent to have to advocate that these are people that she does want in the room and doesn't want to be um, sidelined. She doesn't want them sidelined. So, again, it might be one of those situations where some hospitals we have adoptive parents advocating for what's right for the birth parent. And then we even have opposite, where we find the birth parent having to stick up for the adoptive parent. Yeah, both. Uh, yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've heard of it both ways. You are listening to Creating a Family today. We're talking about making a hospital plan and open adoption. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. On Twitter, you can connect to us at Creating a Family. On Facebook, there are three ways to connect with us. One, you can to connect with me personally, Davenport one You can also like our Facebook page, which you can find at facebook.com slash creatingafamily. Or you can join the Creating a Family support group, Facebook support group. Uh, you can find the book, I mean the group or the page by typing in the words Creating a Family in the Facebook search box at the top. Uh, and both the page and the group will pop up. You can like the group and join the like the page and join the group, uh, and we would love to have you uh, with us. Here is a question from Kara. She says, "We were matched with an expectant mom, and the baby. We are matched with an expectant mom, and the baby is due in June. We have not had a lot of contact with her. We would like very much to be at the hospital. What is standard, and what do we need to do to get it arranged?" Uh, she does not talk, uh, Rebecca, about who she is working with, uh, whether she's mm-hmm. working with an agency or an attorney. Um, so we'll have to, perhaps we'll need to answer this both ways. Um, there is apparently not a lot of, of communication at this point uh, between the adoptive family and the expectant family. Uh, so what would you suggest, Rebecca, for Kara, who uh, at this point would like to be at the hospital? Well, I think she needs to make it known that she would be willing to do that and that that would be great if that's possible. But um, I think it's just really important that that the mom really instigate that and to say, you know, would you like to be there at the delivery? Would you like to come to the hospital? Um, I know that we kind of have our idea of what we want as adoptive parents, but it's really important to not put those wants and desires on that woman, you know, because she's not going to want to let you down. She may feel like, gosh, I'm really not comfortable with that, but how do I tell them no? I, I want them to like me. You know, it comes back to that feeling cornered. So I think her pointing out that she'd be willing and it'd be great if she thinks that would be helpful to have her there. Um, but then I think she kind of steps back and then sees if if that mom wants to have her there um, because I've really seen it seen it both ways. I've seen moms that say, this is really the only time I have with my baby, and I want it to be just kind of sacred time for me. And I've seen some that have said, oh, you'd be willing to do that? Oh, I would love to have you there. So I think you just kind of have to almost throw that out and then see if she picks it up. You know, it, it, as I read her question, it uh, it seems like what she needs to be doing is contacting whomever she's working with, the social worker, the agency, the social worker at the uh, – uh, she's had a home study done, so surely there's a social worker involved there. It seems like the, that she needs to be coordinating this uh, with somebody who is speaking frequently uh, with the um, expectant mom um, and and finding out what the mom uh, wants, and then yeah, saying what she wants. It's okay to say what she wants, but I just sure. keep thinking, gosh, she needs to go back and um, there needs to be she needs to be working with her agency or her social worker um, to be expressing some of this. Um, or what, that's that's what jumps out at me at, at her question, mm-hmm. Jennifer. If a hospital doesn't have a support system such as the the one that Rebecca has has set up, the family to family adoption support uh, program at Parker Adventist Hospital, 
if an, if a hospital doesn't have a system set up um, or an adoption coordinator, what steps can fa- adoptive families and expectant families do ahead of time? Uh, as you point out, it would certainly be nice to have some of this talked about when you're not in the middle of labor or have not just given birth. Right. That's a really uh, good point you make. So your adoption professional, um, I would hope they do this, but if not, ask them to, is to make sure that they speak to the social worker at the hospital prior to the delivery date. We usually get in touch and have a phone meeting with the social worker about a month before the due date. Uh, every hospital has a social worker. Some social, some hospitals have ones that specifically work with labor and delivery, some not. Regardless, every hospital will have a social worker on staff. And getting in touch with them is important. That leaves an opportunity for the professional to talk about open adoption, check in with the hospital, see what their policies are. If there's anything that the adoptive parents and the birth parents plan that might not be very compatible with potential hospital policies, and so it gives the professional time to advocate for what that plan would look like given the restrictions the hospital might have and maybe are there ways to cooperate and work around it. The birth and hospital plan should be sent over to the hospital at that time. So the hospital has in a birth parent file that uh, paperwork. It should include the HIPAA medical release, the birth and hospital plan. I like to send over the Dear Birth Mother letter that the adoptive parents created for their profile to give the um, nurses and the doctors an idea of who's walking through the door so they're prepared for the adoptive parents. And it also sends a message that they are very important in this process as well to be included. So a hospital packet sent over maybe with a cover sheet uh, from the adoption professional with all the contact information would be really good to have on file. Now here's what you talked about, the adoptive parents being prepared. Have the adoptive parents have a copy of that packet in their hands. Because inevitably, nice weekend, when someone goes into labor, the hospital is not going to have possibly the 9-to-5 social worker there, and they're going to scramble and not be able to find this hospital packet. So I encourage adoptive parents to get a copy of that packet from your, hospital, from your professional and stick it in your purse that you're going to be bringing to the hospital because Murphy's Law, you're going to need it. <laughs> Murphy's Law, you will probably mm-hmm. need it. And, and let me just... Uh, um, reiterate what you were saying. So in this hospital packet, you would have the um, uh, some type of explanation of open adoption. Uh, mm-hmm. You would have uh, the HIPAA medical release form uh, that the uh, birth, probably birth mother and birth father have signed, or maybe just the birth mom, I guess. Um, and you also include the Dear Expectant Mom uh, letter or something about mm-hmm. the uh, adoptive parent's profile, uh, cover sheet with contact information. Whose contact information do you include on that? Well, the adoptive professional for sure, as well as the adoptive parent. Um, with their, uh, when I say contact information, well, I'm also talking about identifying information because a lot of times hospitals are going to want to see identification of the adoptive parents and make sure it matches up with the information the uh, adoption pro- professional has provided. So in other words, that it, what, your driver's license or something, a photo ID is yes. what you're saying? Okay. Yes. Yeah. yes, yes, yes. So that's something else that needs to be included would be a photo ID. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I guess it seemed obvious, but you had to get there. So someone <laughs> has, to have a, has to have a driver's license, but perhaps not. Uh, and, and in the hurry of getting there, that is something that you could forget. So, right. so a photo ID needs to be included as well. All right. Rebecca, anything else that you would include in the uh, hospital uh, packet or the inf- a packet of information that is both sent to the hospital and that the adoptive families have a copy of in their uh, in their bag, which they're going to bring to the hospital? Well, just a little little different in our program and, and everything that Jennifer's saying is absolutely true. That that those materials that were really created, my position here is to be the adoption liaison. And so I work here at the hospital and my job is to be that point person. And so one of the interesting things that's happened as we've offered their program is that we're in contact with these moms much earlier in their pregnancy because we're helping them get into doctors that are also adoption sensitive. 
And so we really build a relationship, and part of that is building that list of, oh, you've chosen an adoptive family, and tell me about them. And and so I'm really filling in that form because I have a template that I fill in with that information. And also to be encouraged to get the information from the hospital, like what should they bring? What should an adoptive family bring if they're able to have a room where they'll actually stay if that's what the mom wants, then what should they bring? Sometimes they're like, do I bring diapers? Do I not? Do I bring clothes? And every hospital is different, but most often you would hope they'd be treated just as new parents once that, once that baby is born. So here they'd have a room of their own, and they would go ahead and have a nurse that's working with them, and they would just be new parents. It wouldn't matter that that woman didn't birth that baby as far as the way that they're interacting with that newborn. So every hospital is different, but that letter goes out to new parents, and so they should just ask for that as well well, do you have a list of what I should bring to the hospital so they can feel prepared? Because you don't want to feel anxious when you realize you didn't bring shampoo, you know, or something like that. You know, that can cause, or ibuprofen if they're getting headaches or, you know, things like that 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 they just may not have on their list. Yeah. You know, you raise a good point about the issue of whether or not the adoptive family has a room at the hospital. Um, And, you know, one of the things that occurs to me is that, as you point out, Rebecca, adoptive parents are new parents. And one of the things Mm -hmm. that happens at the hospital is that new parents are surrounded by people who know how to care for babies, and they try to impart that knowledge and and to give confidence to brand-new parents. Um, This is how you hold the baby. This is how you diaper the baby. The baby is crying a lot. Have you tried this? Have you tried that? You know, Mm -hmm. to encourage them to feel competent. And that is something that often uh, adoptive parents don't have. They don't have the uh, access to uh, in in some hospitals. Uh, Jennifer, is there a way... To with is there a way that that you have found working with hospitals that are that don't have an adoption coordinator such as Rebecca to help uh, set up a situation that adoptive parents are getting some of the parenting education that goes on in on the labor and delivery floors. Well, um, I think it'd be a blessing to have an adoption coordinator. I think it's extremely rare. Um, yeah, but <laughs> I think uh, so too, and I wish it weren't the case. Yes, yes. Um, but what we see is, and what the feedback I've had is that nurses that usually would give that feedback of guidance will come in, and they might be a little confused as to who to turn to or who to do this with. They know they're just supposed to do it with someone. And again, then it, <laughs> then it winds up resting with um, maybe a moment of uncomfortableness mm-hmm. of, again, should we defer to the birth parent? And the birth parent should be the one, if she wants, to say, um, actually, I want to include so and so in this, or I want you to teach her how to do it. She's going to be the parent. Um, so again, it should adopt a parent when situations are uncomfortable at the hospital. Turn towards the birth parent and leave it in their hands. As much as you might want to grab that situation and run away with it, um, defer to them and let them say, "Oh, I want them to be included in this," or "Please teach them that." I also want to point out that half our birth parents already are raising children, and this is not their first child that they're giving birth to. So really sweet moments come across in the hospital when it's birth parents that are guiding adoptive parents of how to do this, how to do that. Um, And it's also really, I've heard back, that it's really nice for them to be able to impart this knowledge and to help guide, and it's really sweet moments that they carry with them in their memories. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that is a misperception from a lot of people about uh, who the average, if there, as if there's such a thing as an average, uh, but uh, who mm. who a birth parent is, and, and uh, right. we think in terms of it being a 15-year-old, um, but in fact it is often someone who is already parenting at least one child. You are listening to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and infertility. We are so glad to have you with us on this Creating a Family show when we're talking about making a hospital plan. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our twice-weekly e-newsletter. We would love to have you on our list. We'd let you know about the latest developments in adoption as well as the upcoming week's blog and show topic. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter at creatingafamily.org or you can send us an email and ask us to add you to the list. Send the email to info at creatingafamily.org. The sign-up is on the left-hand side of any page of our website. Um, 
the the issue of having a room at the hospital, uh, Jennifer, is that something that you encourage if the adoptive parents would like to have that, and if the hospital is open to that, uh, is that something that adoptive parents should bring up in, with the uh, birth parents or the expectant parents ahead of time before the birth, before she even goes to the hospital? Well, I, again, I hope a lot of these awkward conversations are actually being facilitated by the adoption professional. It is something that it should be brought up during the um, conversation about the birth and hospital plan. Um, I have not had a hospital promise me that they will set aside a adoptive parents, a separate room for the adoptive parents. Usually, and it is usually because there's an insurance issue and not a pocket issue that yeah. they may need the room, and they can't guarantee that they would set aside Bretty's a room for the adoptive parents. So it's put in the adoption plan if it's something the adoptive parents and birth parents want, but it never really usually is guaranteed. Well, that's a really good point. And and the other thing, you know, which may sound mundane, but it is the reality, is that you know these hospital rooms are not inexpensive, and uh, and you may well have insurance issues that you would need to check out beforehand um, as far as, who is going to um, who is going to pay for that? Um, yeah. Sorry to have to bring up the old money issue, but it is you know it is the reality. Here is a question we received from I think uh, I'm not sure if she pronounces it Dinah or Dina. We adopted our son six years ago in the hospital. One of the nurses tried to talk our son's birth mother out of the adoption. She was devastated. How could we have prevented this from happening? I know that there aren't any 100% ways, but we always felt like if we were to adopt again, we would try to prevent it if possible. Rebecca, this sounds uh, reminiscent of what <laughs> happened to your eldest uh, daughter's uh, birth parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I guess I'm somewhat curious. Um, we, I, would both, I want to answer uh, Dinah's question, uh, and uh, but I am I'm curious, Jennifer. Before I turn to Rebecca to to, to uh, give her opinion on how this might have been prevented, how common is this? Uh, that uh, how often do you hear uh, where from uh, birth parents or from adoptive parents that hospital personnel, uh, nurses or whatever, try to talk them out of their adoption plan? Um. Unfortunately, it does happen, and I can't give you a percentage because it would be completely anecdotal, as yeah. well as when it does happen, it impacts me so much that I tend to carry it with me and remember it. It's very salient to me. Yeah, so, that's a good point. You know, so I'm, I'm sure if I gave you a statistic, it would probably overreach a bit, but it's just so unnerving when it does happen. One of the things that, as an adoption professional, when I talk to the social worker that month ahead of time, that conversation I have with her, is I talk about, has that happened at your hospital before? And is there a way to ensure that um, pro-adoption or people who support adoption are assigned to this case while the patient is in the hospital? And maybe they'll make a note of it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I've, what I can tell you is I've never had a situation where if a social worker, God forbid, or a nurse, um, try to impart their own wisdom as to whether or not this person should be placing her baby for adoption, I have not heard that it's actually changed a birth parent's mind. If anything, um, it it does anger them, but it makes them dig their heels in deeper because they're in a situation where now they have to defend their choice, which is really upsetting. Um, it, it A lot yeah. of times will remind them how committed they actually are because they're in a situation where they have to defend their choice. It's just emotionally heart-wrenching, though when it they is. are put in a position. And it's so unfair, especially because as an adoption professional who's been working on a clinical level with this person, with anticipatory grief involved, and preparing her emotionally for the difference between um, grief and regret or grief and ambivalence, it, it's very on my end because she's in such a vulnerable situation and she's really putting to use all the tools we've been talking about just to have it such an upheaval um, and some of his own opinions be pressed upon her. So it's it's really unnerving when it does happen, unfortunately. The best thing we can do is continue to educate professionals. Yeah, that's where it comes down to. Um, Rebecca, any thoughts for Dinah on, uh, she doesn't say if she's planning on adopting again, uh, maybe reading between mm-hmm. the lines, that's a possibility, but she wonders if she could, as an adoptive parent, uh, 
uh, Jennifer has talked about what the adoption professional perhaps can do ahead of time. Um, but any thoughts as to what an adoptive parent can do, or is there anything that an adoptive parent can do if this is happening? You know, I think we all have to raise the bar. I think that we hear these stories, and the more you're in the adoption community, you hear them on the side of nurses also pushing parenting but also pushing adoption. And so it actually is happening on both sides. And so one of the – I think the best thing that we can do is to speak out. And I've had agencies say, but it's, well, it's better than it used to be. And I'm like, but it's not where it should be. And Mm -hmm. I think we have to address it. It's not right that just because it's adoption, it doesn't have to have a standard of care in the hospital and in the healthcare system. And so I think it's unfair to the staff. And most often what we find with our nurses is when we're training them, they'll say, well, I don't really have any strong feelings about adoption. And then the more we get into our training, all of a sudden they're like, oh, but I did see this Lifetime movie. And oh, well, my uncle was adopted and, you know, crazy Uncle Joe. And well, there was this. And then one time and then and I was a single parent and I made it. And, you know, all of a sudden all these um, all these life experiences and that's all they have to go on because no one's trained them on the complexities of adoption and the new face of adoption and so all they really have to fall back on is their own personal experience and that's why we have this wide this wide gamut of care being given and this wide opinion um, because we haven't defined our own biases we haven't looked in our own suitcases what's our baggage that we're bringing in so we really have to speak out and we have to say it's not okay anymore. This woman should not have to go toe to toe with a nurse because she's been in counseling for months and has decided to parent. Just like she shouldn't be pressured on the other side to do adoption as well. We want to make sure that that woman is getting neutral, compassionate care. Period. So I think that the agencies have to speak up. I think the adoptive families have to speak up. And often, sadly, the birth parents are so broken, they can't speak up. We need to speak up for them and say this isn't okay. But but from an adoptive parent standpoint, is that their role to speak up? Because one of the things that I think it was Jennifer mentioned earlier is that when in doubt, you turn the decisions over. You're careful to turn. This is, this is you are not the parent yet, and you may not be. Uh, you might never you might never be the parent to this child. This is a new mom, and that that we're supposed to defer decisions when in doubt to the to the birth parents so from an adoptive parent standpoint it's it's an awkward you want to take up but on the other hand you also have something to gain so i i'm right and maybe well, i'm making I, this a bigger deal than in my head than it is but it seems no like it no very awkward. i think it's yeah, okay yeah. to ask for the charge nurse if you feel like there's something going on if you feel like a nurse is treating you and you feel like there's something behind closed doors you can go to the charge nurse and say, can I talk to you about this? This is what's going on. Here's our hospital plan. I just want to check in with you because I'm a little concerned. These are some things I'm noticing. It's totally appropriate to do that. But also after the fact, it's so important to speak out to hospital administration and let them know how it was handled in that hospital. They need feedback. They need to hear these stories about what's happening because we're all talking about it. But very few stories are hitting the ears of those that are the decision makers. Mm-hmm. Jennifer, if uh, we all hope that somebody uh, that that uh, there is an adoption trained professional who is with uh, both families during this time uh, and is there running interference. If but but if that is not happening, what from your perspective should an adoptive parent do if they feel like there is being pressure? Either way, quite frankly. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. really glad that Rebecca pointed out that pressure can go both ways. What mm-hmm. is the role of the adoptive parent, or is, or is their role really just to support the uh, expectant parent to the extent they can? Well, sometimes that support means talking to them and checking in how you're feeling. Um, are you uncomfortable with anything that's being said to you or how you're being treated? I know that when I'm talking with uh, parents who are in the hospital, one of my first questions is, how are you being treated? How, how is the staff acting towards you? Is there anything that's making you uncomfortable? Um, whether it's purposeful or accidental, I want to check in with that. Because, again, wires can get crossed and people can have misunderstandings. I think it's very important to ask for a supervisor if you feel that the person who's actually providing the care has their own biases pressuring or is coming from an angle that's making the birth parent uncomfortable. 
Um, like I said earlier, every hospital has a social worker. Ask to speak to the social worker if the charge nurse you don't feel is handling it in a way that's going to ameliorate the situation. And in, please, please, please let your adoption professional know. Even if we're not physically at the hospital that moment, we can make phone calls. We can support from the back end. We need to know to be able to help. So please keep us in the loop. Good point, yeah. Just because uh, your adoption, your social worker or other adop- adoption professional is not there, or even if you perceive that they're not willing to be helpful, um, that is what they're there for, and you can turn it, and you should let them know uh, what's happening so that give them a chance one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the last things we have time for is I'd like to, if we could just do a summary of what a successful hospital plan would look like in open adoption. What are the things that we need to have thought through or to uh, to, to discuss uh, ahead of time? Or if sometimes, as, as was the case with Rebecca, they didn't have much time. There was no ahead of time. Uh, and that does happen where, where uh, a decision is made at the last moment and a, a match is made, and uh, the, uh, uh, so there isn't an ahead of time. But what is a successful hospital plan? What, what would be included within that? Uh, Rebecca, we're going to start with you, and then Jennifer, I'm going to uh, let you uh, have the uh, final say as to uh, anything you might want to include. Okay, Rebecca? Well, I think the key is being flexible and being understanding of the emotions of the mom. And I think often our our programs often called to be similar to hospice, which because we talked about crafting that goodbye. And when you think of when people say goodbye to their loved ones, sometimes they don't, they just said their goodbyes, they're ready, and they don't want to come to maybe the deathbed. Sometimes they want to sit there to the last breath. You know, we have different ways that we say goodbye and different ways that we grieve. And I think sometimes we don't know what that's going to look like till baby's born. So I think it would be a lot of flexibility, a lot of compassion, and a lot of communication when there's any kind of misunderstanding um, to make sure that you clear that up and you feel comfortable using that adoption professional to be a mediator if need be, if they're present, or hopefully an adoption liaison someday, um, to make sure that because things can be misread very quickly when emotions are so high and there's it's just all built in loss and really acknowledging that and being compassionate for what everybody's going through. Okay, great points. Uh, Jennifer, thoughts on what is uh, what would be some of the keys to a successful hospital plan in open adoption? Well, like we just heard, flexibility is important. I want to emphasize that whatever hospital plan you're putting down on paper is a plan and not a contract. And mm-hmm. the, the point of it is is that when the birth parent is in the hospital, that she isn't being asked every two minutes, do you want this or that, this or that. There's at least a blueprint. And, again, flexibility, communication. Um, and talking about, if you're talking about what the tangible things we t- to hit on, it is things like where are the adoptive parents going to be during the labor delivery? What role are they going to be playing? Does the birth mother want them there as a coach or as an observer? Again, who's going to hold the baby, cut the cord, care for the baby? And then you're going to talk about also things like the name, the child, and the birth parents want to fill out the birth certificate and what that's going to look like. And it's important for the adoptive parents to be prepared that she may or may not choose the first name to be the name that they will call the child permanently. And that's okay. So all those things ahead of time are really important to talk about, as well as the goodbye. You talk, you, again, we just mentioned goodbyes. What is that going to look like? Does the birth mother want to leave first? Does she want the adoptive parents to leave first? Or does she want everybody to leave together? And finally, I just want to stress to be authentic and open in your emotions at the hospital because you are going to care about this person. You are going to care about the birth parents, and you will have moments that this will be bittersweet for you too because you're going to hurt for them. And showing them that is going to show them that they're, it's not, they're just not rapping to you, that they actually are more than just a vessel who carries this child, that they are important to you as who they are and for who they are. And so having those moments of sadness with them and showing compassion with them is going to send a very important message. As well as we mentioned earlier, that you, you don't have to shelter your own happiness about having this child in your arms. That's reaffirming to birth parents. When they see you fall in love with their, this child, they're reminded why they're doing this. So don't feel that you have to temper that. That's actually really nice for them to see. And last, communication and just thinking about taking their lead during the hospital, I think are the two most important tenants to take with you. 
taking their lead uh, and showing mm-hmm. and, and, and owning and your emotions. Oh, communication. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and not uh, not making assumptions in communication, but ask ask when you don't know. Uh, and it's right. often the case we don't know. I would like to take a brief moment to thank a few more of our gold sponsors and to remind you that it is through their generous support that we can bring you this show and, and all the resources at Creating a Family. Creating a Family has a vast uh, array of resources to support uh, families and other and, and birth families as well, uh, both pre and post and during the adoption process. We have Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have offices in California, Colorado, and South Carolina, adoption programs throughout the world, a domestic infant program, as well as their Snowflakes Embryo Donation Program. Bethany Christian Services is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering children and families. They are committed to quality social services along the child welfare continuum, ranging from pregnancy counseling to family preservation to foster care and to uh, adoption as well. If you have enjoyed our show and you want to help us grow, please rate this podcast on iTunes. If you have iTunes on your computer, just open it up, type in the words creating a family in the search box, and then rate us. If you don't, or even if you do, an easier way would be to go to our the radio page of our website, creatingafamily.org slash radio show. And on the radio page, click on the iTunes button. It will take you to the page where you can rate us. You can give a star rating, or you can, and rather I should say, and we hope that you also will leave a written comment. Thank you, Jennifer, Dr. Jennifer Bliss and Rebecca Valle for being our guest today on Creating a Family. To get more information, first of all, if anybody wants to participate in a discussion on this topic, I'll be blogging on it tomorrow, and I look forward to uh, hearing your comments and thoughts, and we'll carry on the discussion there. To get more information on the Independent Adoption Center, you can go to their website. That's where uh, Dr. Bliss is. Uh, You can type in uh, adoptionhelp.org, or you can simply click on their logo on the right-hand side of any page of our site because they are one of our wonderful gold sponsors. We also, uh, to get any information about uh, Rebecca, the Family to Family Adoption Support Program, you can go to the website for the hospital, which is parkerhospital.org slash adoption support. I would love to see more hospitals instituting programs like this and having people like Rebecca on staff to help facilitate what is an often emotional and and highly complex uh, time. Thank you so much for joining us today. I will see you next week. Starlight Lounge presents an evening with the progressive box. Oh, the moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi, oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations.